Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. I'm inviting people to the Retreat House table to share their story, and I'm so glad you're here to join us. Welcome to the table. Well, this is going to be a really fun episode because I feel like it's a continuation of something that we've been talking about this whole year, actually. Um, you, you may remember if you've listened to past episodes that I ended up running a marathon back in June to raise money to fight human trafficking because I am not really a dress wearer, but felt like there was something I wanted to do. And I talked a lot about Dressember and I thought, you all might not know, my listeners, you may not know what Dressember is. And I think it's a really important organization and they're doing really important things. And so I wanted to make sure that you knew about it. And maybe even some of you will be inspired to participate in it. So I am so pleased to welcome Blythe Hill to the podcast. Welcome. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and to chat with you. So you are the founder and president. Is that your official title of? Um, well, CEO and founder, okay. but yeah, essentially. Nice. Was there anything else that you would like us to know about you before we get started? Um. Wow. Uh I'm sure there's a lot, <laughs> but I mean, I guess something that might be interesting to to know up front and, and then maybe we'll color the rest of the, the time that we talk here is I am an introvert. And so, um, it's always, you know, I tend to internally process things. Okay. And so for a podcast, I have to speed up that process a little yeah. bit <laughs> and, and learn to externalize it. But yeah, that's something I guess interesting to know about me because, I think sometimes, I don't know if other people feel this way, but sometimes it feels like extroverts are the ones who will change the world, you know, or mm -hmm. extroverts are leading big organizations or companies or foundations. And somehow I'm managing to make it happen as an introvert. So, <laughs> you know. well, I think we need both. I'm an extrovert and I have two sons and one of them is a very much an introvert. And so I find myself having to like translate myself and my expectations and my thoughts of that's just fine that he wants to be alone. He is an introvert, Angie. He doesn't always have to be with people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give him time to, to think things over. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mull around. Just be quiet. So what I want to talk about today is how I've heard because I've heard your I've heard you tell your story a little bit. So I'd love to hear your story of what inspired you to start Dressember? And then I want to make sure that we talk all about Dressember and some of the fun things that you have going on this season for Dressember too. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I started Dressember when I was in college. And initially it was just um, this quirky idea I had where I was going to try wearing a dress every day for a month. It happened to be November when I had the idea, mm -hmm. and so December was the next full month, and I love puns. I love, like, wordplay, and <laughs> so when I said, yeah, I'm going to wear a dress every day in December, I thought of the name Dressember and just loved that. I was like, okay, now, like, that's that's so good. Now I have to do it, mm -hmm. And but it was purely this fun thing and kind of a, a creative outlet since I didn't have a lot of time, you know, amidst all the academia for some of my normal, more time-consuming creative outlets. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I did it. I wore a dress every day for a month. I actually wore a different dress every day for that first month because I am embarrassed to admit I had that many dresses. I love dresses. (laughs) So it was a pretty easy and fun challenge for me. I know that's not the case for, for everyone and certainly not the case for all of our, you know, everyone who joins in, but it's fun to see people join in at various levels of, of difficulty and, and personal sacrifice. But yeah, initially it was just this one-time thing. I never planned on doing it again. Um, and then the next year, some of my friends brought it up and wanted to do it with me. And I thought, okay, like they, you know, maybe they're also looking for a creative outlet. They're also kind of mm-hmm. bored or stifled. And <laughs> Well, it's so just fun it. to do things with friends too. Yeah, yeah. And it that continues to be true with Dressember. It is more fun to do with other people. Mm-hmm. So did it again with them. And then the next year, kind of thought that would be it, you know, like, okay, we got that out of our system. <laughs> um, but then the next year, my friend's friends wanted to join in. And um, I started to see it move past my immediate circle of influence. And, mm-hmm. you know, I joke that I have a lot of bad ideas that never go anywhere. Um, <laughs> and I think that's okay, you know, just to have ideas for ideas sake. But mm-hmm. because I usually never see them go anywhere, I knew to recognize like, oh, this one's different. Like this one is <laughs> Wait a minute. moving. <laughs> this, yeah, this one's uh, moving beyond my my network here. And I think, you know, this is a good idea. People like this. And I started to think about like, okay, is there an opportunity for this to be more? And um, I started dreaming about adding a layer to it, adding an impact of some sort. But I didn't know how, like, how on earth could I do that? Like, we're just getting dressed. You know, I can't, how, how, like, I thought about this campaign or fundraiser. I was like, that will never work. We're not running a marathon. Like we're not, we're not doing anything hard, you know, is what I was thinking. And then I, I had heard of Movember, but I, I didn't realize until like 2011. It's so Movember. Yeah. Movember is, uh, the campaign where men grow mustaches in the month of November to raise money for prostate cancer or it started as prostate cancer. Now it's a host of men's health issues. So I knew that that was going on, but I didn't realize it was a campaign until like 2011. And, and when I caught on to that, I realized like, oh, they're raising millions of dollars doing this. So then I sort of stopped and thought like, okay, well, if, if a bunch of men can raise millions of dollars by, by not shaving, hair, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a chance that, you know, a group of fired up women can use Dressember to raise some money for a cause we care about. And, and I had been really interested in human trafficking um, for a number of years at that point and, and kind of on this separate journey of my own feeling kind of this tension of being so passionate about the issue, but so like also feeling so powerless. And don't you think that's a common when you start to learn about human trafficking, that that's the common thing? It like. Is. I want to do something, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do or how to step forward in it. Yes. It's yeah. And I, I think for a number of years I took that for granted. I thought like, oh, this is like, I'm in the, like, I'm the only person who can't figure this out. <laughs> but Dressimmer has shown me like, no, thousands upon thousands of people feel this way. And, um, yeah, it is like this unique social justice issue where for very good reason, you have to have a number of qualifications to engage in what feels like a significant way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so for everyone else, there is donating. I would say now, you know, as opposed to between 2005, 2010 or 12, when I was kind of going through this tension, there are more ways to engage now. I think there are more runs and there are more, um, there's just more awareness around the issue in general. And so there are a number of accessory and fashion brands that support human trafficking organizations through their, through purchasing through them. And, um, but none of that really existed. Like people, when I, when I found out about human trafficking in 2005, it was kind of on accident. Like I just stumbled on this article. I had never heard anyone talk about it. And I was horrified. And I was like, why are like, people must not know about this because if knew about this, they'd be talking about it all the time. And Um, yeah, I felt this sense of urgency and then almost immediately that sense of powerlessness of like, well, I've got to, I've got to move to India and become a social worker, or I've got to become a lawyer or a a police officer or, um, a psychologist, you know, it felt like some very distinct pathways, which I really thought about doing. I was like, that was kind of the level of passion I felt. It's like, I need to totally reroute my life and career towards one of these pathways, But at the same time, like, I guess where the tension came from is it just didn't feel true to who I am and how I'm wired. Like, I Mm -hmm. would need to kind of fit myself in this box that didn't, wasn't me um, for the sake of my passion for the issue, which also felt compelling. So, (laughs) yeah, for years, just, I just felt that struggle and that tension and it was pretty awful. And so then when December was growing and I started dreaming about like, oh, well, maybe we can have an impact through this, that was an easy choice for me. It's like, we're going to try to raise $25,000 for an anti-human trafficking organization. And how did that feel? I mean, $25,000 is a lot of money. Did- yeah, that felt um, that felt really risky. It felt, it was like, okay, I hadn't planned on setting a goal. I was just like, let's see, let's see mm-hmm. how much we can raise. And then I was setting up this campaign page. I, I had to set a goal as part of the process. It kind of caught me off guard. I was like, okay, um, I have no idea like how many people actually participate in mm-hmm. December. Um, <laughs> we've never done this before. I don't know like what's reasonable. And the number, I don't even know where the number $25,000 or 20, yeah, where it came from other than I was like, okay, that just feels, I felt like a sense of peace about it. Like that feels like an ambitious number. It also feels like, okay, maybe we can do this. You know, maybe we can, yeah, it feels like doable, but ambitious. And it, it did feel really risky because it felt like this big audacious goal. Like I felt personally, I sort of felt like my reputation was on the line, you know, like mm-hmm. not that I had a huge network, but I felt like, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and do this thing. I'm connecting this like fun, quirky challenge with this really heavy, horrifying injustice. And I'm encouraging people like we can have an impact if we connect these things. And it just felt like, wow, this could totally fail. Like this could just flop. People might not like this. People might think this is stupid. And then we we raised twenty five thousand dollars in three days. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, this is a much better idea than I realized." <laughs> um, yeah, we ended up raising one hundred sixty five thousand dollars that oh, first. My goodness. Yeah. Well, and yeah. how cool that 
it was bringing together this quirky, quirky idea that you had and this deep passion where instead of changing yourself, you got to do what you were already doing, something that was so a part of you and join it together. Yeah, it was, it's been a really beautiful and redemptive experience. And I just feel so lucky that I got to do this and get to do this. Um, in some ways, it feels like it would have happened with or without me. Right? Mm. I don't know that that's true. But I just like, feel this sense of like, somehow this would have happened. And I feel lucky that I get to be part of mm. it and I get to lead it. So how long ago was that? When was the f- that year that you raised $165,000? So that was December 2013. Okay. So we've had six campaigns since then. We're coming up on our seventh. And it has really just snowballed over the last six years. We have raised seven and a half million over the last six years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So has it felt, has it felt like a snowball going down a hill? I mean, has, has the growth felt like that? I would say the very first year, especially because we surpassed our goal so much, mm-hmm. just felt like, wow, the the wind is at our backs. Like, this is moving so fast. And then since then, I'm someone who loves, like, I've learned to love now these, like, big, uh, ambitious goals. And we, let's see, we didn't hit our goal this last year. We hit it the year before Anyway, we, I keep setting these really high goals and I'm learning like, I need to set some more conservative goals just like for morale, you know, like, okay, we'll hit our goal this year. Like is, is the, you know, fingers crossed the, the conservative plan. I mean, it's been wild. Yes. To Mm -hmm. answer your question, it's been like, it's been such an adventure. So then how did you, so that first year you did the campaign and now dress ember is a thing. I mean, it's a, you're a, are you a nonprofit? Yeah. Org. So then what was that process like of, oh, my goodness, we raised all this money. This is a thing. You know, what is the next what was your next move? Yeah. When I realized like, oh, my gosh, this is so much bigger than I thought it was. My, my very next thought was like, well, what am I going to do with this? Like this, you know, has so much potential. It really has a life of its own. And so initially I thought, OK, well, I can either try to fold the campaign into basically convince international justice mission to hire me and, mm. and kind of bring dress number with me, like hire me and I'll manage this campaign or I can go the scarier path and try to, you know, apply for 501 C three and like build the thing from the ground up. And I was really hoping that the first path would work out. Cause it was like the safer one, right. you know, I'd come <laughs> under this other existing structure under the umbrella of, of uh, the organization. And I I think it was just meant to be that December from the very beginning was its own thing. It's this, you know, quirky, agile, creative organization. And when I sort of started to test the waters with IJM about like my idea, I think the problem was it was, I was like 10 steps ahead, like my, they weren't quite ready for an idea like that. Okay. Um, and that's fine. But I think I just had this vision of like, this is like, this is going to blow up. It's Mm going to like continue to raise more and more and more money. And from their vantage point, which I respect, it was like, you know, you've raised raised a lot of like, you know, a lot of money once. And Mm -hmm. I think they kind of wanted to see if it would replicate itself. And also back in 2014, you know, IJM has 
a health, the mark of a healthy organization is, you know, like you continue to grow and evolve. And I would say, and they'd probably say this of themselves too, in 2014, they weren't a particularly agile organization. They're primarily this legal powerhouse. And so, yeah, I I don't know that they knew exactly what to do with me as like this (laughs) 27 year old girl with a dress challenge, you know? Um, but they were very kind, very gracious about the whole thing. It just, it, um, and I, to be fair, I never like really laid out my cards of like, this is like, hire me. You know, I never, I never <laughs> said that. I just sort of explored like, what do you think is the future of this? And just kind of saw like, okay, my vision for this is, is a lot bigger. And so I need to, I need to figure this out on my own, the scarier way. And so, mm-hmm. so I think around like February or March of 2014, I, hired a, a lawyer to process the 501c3 paperwork and everything we, we received approval, I think September, 2014, just in time for our next campaign. Yeah. And then we raised 465,000. Oh yeah. my goodness. So two, well, one thing I want to point out that how many months it took for you to get your 501c3 that it's a, I mean, if, I'm just thinking about the person that's listening who's in the beginning stages of trying to figure out what their next move is and something that, that it takes time to build. that. When you originally did that campaign was IGM, was it for IGM? Was that your. Yes, they, so they were initially our only partner and that was the case for the second year as well. And then we began adding partners. Initially, I mean, I love IJM, and they're still, we consider them our flagship partner. They're our largest partner. But initially, the decision to add another partner was kind of our lawyer's advice. Like, you know, the IRS doesn't really take kindly to being an organization that solely supports another organization. And so we, that was kind of the initial, I guess, uh, reason we started expanding to other to other partners. And then soon after that, my vision really grew of like, well, this is a hugely complex issue that's happening all over the world. I would say my, you know, I've, I've learned, I continue to learn a lot about this issue as time goes on. And we as a society and different organizations that are tackling this issue are continuing to learn about it. And it continues to change because perpetrators are shrewd. And so just learning like, oh, this happens locally. And it's important that we have a local impact as well as an international impact. And so mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, we've really expanded our partnerships. So we we have currently um, 15 partners and 13 of those are domestic. Oh, wow. And something I think is it's the first time you're doing it this year. I saw that you launched a line of dresses. I'm glad you saw our dress collection. It's actually our fifth dress collection. Oh, is it? Like, you're not the first person to say that. So I'm like, what are we? I've got it. You know, it's so funny because when you're communicating something like our, we have a communications manager, Madeline, and she runs our Instagram and our email marketing. And she feels like she's just badgering people with like, this is happening. This is happening. And mm-hmm. then hearing like, oh, like, you know, maybe the seventh time or like the fifth year is when people like catch on that this is happening. So I'll reassure her because she always feels like she's, you know, smothering people in it. Esther Haven, Havens, did I say that right? Designed one of the dresses and I follow her on Instagram. And so she shared it. That's how I originally saw it. I don't know why I wasn't 
I don't know why I didn't see it from you before then, but oh, and I don't mean to pick on you. That's no, 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 no. I get it. No, I get it. Like just when you, just as you're getting tired of saying it, is when people really start to hear it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That it, yeah, it's it continues thing. to be true. So yeah, so this is our fifth collection. It's our biggest collection. Um, we have nine well. Let's back up then. If it's your fifth one, how did that? How did it come to be that you started designing dresses? And is that associated with any of the partners that you have? Yeah, well, we partner with a brand called Elegantees. Um, We've partnered with them for the last five years, Mm -hmm. and they have a sewing center in Nepal outside of Kathmandu, and they employ women who are survivors of trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing I've really, my eyes have really been open to in the last couple of years is the importance of a dignified job in the life of a survivor. You know, you think about how central work is to our lives for a sense of purpose and meaning and obviously feeding and, you know, Mm -hmm. taking care of our physical needs. Um, The same is true for anyone around the world. And what is especially interesting is, you know, in a, in a nation like Nepal, it's an impoverished nation. There's not a lot of economic opportunity. And so what happens is there is this pipeline of recruiting into trafficking from Nepal into India, the conservative estimate is that 12,000 women and girls are pulled into sex trafficking from Nepal into India every year. I actually think it's a lot higher, but then, and that's just sex trafficking because then there's the whole issue of labor trafficking and um, men and women who are pulled into labor trafficking. And children. Um, And children, yes. Mm -hmm. When there's not a lot of economic opportunity, you're in a vulnerable situation. Like, you know, it's, you need a job in order to provide for your family and for your own physical needs. And so the more desperate you are, the more willing you are are to take risks that you might not otherwise take. And Mm -hmm. so going to another country thinking, I'm going to be able to send money back to my family or putting sending a child to another country to send money home. Those are the sort of circumstances that come up that make a community and a a country vulnerable to this sort of issue. And so, yeah, my eyes have really been opened to, again, the power of a dignified job where survivors especially are some of the, the hardest working people I've ever met. Like they're so eager and ready to, to work hard for an honest wage and so the sewing center in Nepal, I actually got to visit last summer, or I guess a year ago, last summer, 2018, and meet these women. And they are just incredible. They're, you know, they're paid three times the the minimum wage there. And so they are live, their living expenses are covered and, and then some. They're often able to send money to their families, mm. which then breaks the stigma of, you know, in that part of the world – Sons are more valuable than daughters because they're the ones who can provide for a family. And so when you have a daughter who goes off and earns an income and sends money home, like it's incredibly transformative for the family and for the culture to Mm -hmm. see that happening. Mm -hmm. And it also breaks any, it begins to break and heal some of the trauma of the past where I think it's hard for us to understand how someone can be stigmatized as a survivor of trafficking, but often they they hide 
what's happened to them because they are seen as somehow responsible. Hmm. And so there's a stigma of like, you know, they almost kind of look at them as a prostitute with judgment, I guess, that there's a sense of shame on them. And so then having a dignified job and, and having income that you can send to your family, there are these stories of restoration between families and communities that are really powerful. And that the dignified work also helps. I mean, you can rescue someone, but unless they have a job to go to, otherwise they might go back to the trafficking for exactly the reason you said, that they yeah. want to support their family, so they'll do whatever they have to do. And Yeah, it's part of the reason reentry is so high in trafficking is it's a key piece, like, you know, just as important as rescue and trauma therapy is that next essential piece of a job opportunity. It's this, it's almost, you could look at it as a cycle Mm -hmm. where the search for a job got them into trafficking and then they're rescued and then they're, they go through therapy and then they're looking for a job and, you know, it could potentially just circle again and again. So then five years ago, you partnered with Elegant Tees. Yeah, we so the very first year we just did one dress in two colors. And every year it kind of keeps growing. The next year we did three styles. I always joke that like by the second year, I was out of ideas for designs. Mm -hmm. And so the third year, I was like, well, I know all these incredible women who have platforms and, you know, care about this issue. So why don't I ask them if they will design a dress for us and how fun and so, like again yeah I mean you're nope, taking never said no <laughs> I'm sure well it's and, really fun well and what I again just like you had this quirky idea and this passion and you're coupling it and now you're giving other women the opportunity to do something that might not that might be in their wheelhouse but it's not in like the first level of what they get to do day to day but to have yeah. this amazing creative outlet to support a passion that they have and you have. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. I would say like dress number overall is just so fun. And we really try to lead with the fun and the hope that, yeah, you can, you can make a significant impact and have fun doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the third year we had five designs and I worked with, um, I still designed one dress and then we had four uh, women who designed the other four styles for us. And then, and I think that was the first year we also did like a advocate design challenge. So we opened it up to our community and asked people to submit designs. And then we, we picked two or three and let them let our community vote on the one they liked the most. Um, so we've done that the last three years. So the third year there were five styles last year, we had eight styles and this year we have nine. Um, I think we'll actually downsize a little bit because we're like, okay, yeah. nine's a lot. <laughs> we're, re- we're maybe going to rethink our, our dress strategy for next year, but it's been a lot of fun. So then when, when women purchase one of your dresses, they're supporting Elegant Tees and the women in Nepal, and then do some of the proceeds from that dress then go back into Dress Ember and everything that you're doing with your partners? Yeah. So yeah, purchasing the dress covers the materials and the labor at a fair wage. And it also benefits dress number as well. So exactly right. Um, It's a way of, again, kind of having a multi-focused impact, I guess, you Mm -hmm. know. 
Yeah, which I love. I mean, that's what I love about fair trade, that we can take the dollars that, okay. and spend them on things that we would get anyway and just be more purposeful with what we're spending them on and what it is that we're supporting. Yeah, one thing that's been, it's become kind of our secondary mission at Dressember. So our primary mission is ending slavery worldwide. And then this sort of secondary mission is because we're such a fashion-driven campaign and organization, we pretty much, we consider it our, our duty and our responsibility to educate people on the overlap between the apparel industry and labor trafficking. Mm. Um, and so some of those statistics are pretty eye-opening that the, the last estimation that I heard was that 90 I think it was either 90 or 95 percent of the world's garment maker workers don't make a living wage mm. and 75 percent of the world's garment workers are women um so it's disproportionately affecting women around the world women and girls and and then you look at a statistic like women hold 83 percent of the spending power in the u.s mm that we, we make 83% of spending decisions. And so that, I just see that as this incredible opportunity that when, when we really understand the impact we have through our spending choices, we truly can change the world and we can radically impact this issue in particular. Well, yeah, and I, I think I've heard Jessica Honegger talk about it, but about linking, linking yourself with women around the world and thinking about that, that joining that it's in making a fair trade purchase like one of your dresses it's linking yourself with women like a sisterhood of these women yeah. that are on the other side of the world and not offering a handout but a partnership right yeah and dignity yeah it's it's so true yeah and i i have a lot of hope that we are beginning to do more and more of this through fair trade and ethical uh brands and, and I think just becoming more cognizant of like, okay, a real person made this item that I'm holding in my hands mm -hmm. and, and what were they paid and how were they treated and, and do, is it okay for me to not know? Or, you know, is it okay for me to, to wonder if, if it was a child or if it was mm -hmm. someone forced to work for 16 hours for, you know, 50 cents an hour or something, you know, crazy, is it right. worth not knowing? Um, and I think more and more people are asking those questions. Mm -hmm. Well, and just making a, I also like, it can be really easy to feel guilty now the next time you go shopping, but I think yeah. starting, just starting with Maybe build, steps. Yeah, building your awareness and, you know, making, changing just one of your purchases to be a fair trade purchase, but taking small steps toward that. I don't want people to feel yeah. guilty. I mean, I want you to feel like you want to change, <laughs> but I don't want people to feel <laughs> the weight or guilty of. Oh yeah. And that shopping. is, that is always, you know, I, when I first became aware that I was just so overwhelmed because I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like everything, everything I buy, like I have to change everything. And, right. and that was really overwhelming. And the last thing we want to do is shame people or, um, or guilt people into making different decisions. I think that, you know, the very first step is always an awareness. And then you kind of get to decide like, okay, well, do I care about this? Like, is it important to me to, to begin changing my habits around this? Mm -hmm. And some people just dive right in and run with it. And that's amazing. I'm always amazed by those people. But I was someone who like, I had to baby step into it where I was like, okay, well, first, I'm just going to stop buying 
items from fast fashion brands, you know, where how it's not possible that this store has new items every week and they're, you know, you can find a beautifully embroidered top for $10 or something. You're just like, but how is this really possible? Like, um, so I just made that decision and I, and slowly I thought, okay, well, I'm going to buy more secondhand and thrift things or buy vintage or, I mean, I still, I still rely a lot on secondhand, which is a great choice from an environmental perspective. I love like Poshmark and we have um, Crossroads, Buffalo Exchange, like there's all sorts of great secondhand options and a great way of extending the life cycle of products. And then there are a number of really, an increasing number, like even five years ago, I remember sort of struggling to find like Mm -hmm. brands that we could partner with that were fair trade or ethical, that were also cute, you know, that were also things that I would (laughs) buy. Um, not just paper beads, although, you know, I have some paper bead jewelry I love, like there's a place for that too, but you don't mm-hmm. want all paper beads. Right, right. Um, yeah, it, the, the, the fair trade and ethical apparel market has really expanded. We have over 400 companies that we partner with now that are wow. fair trade or ethical. We have a whole ethical fashion directory on our website that we launched in June and it's pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> And I think it's become it's become a little more competitive where there are more affordable options and then there are more high-end options. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has forced me to think about my consumption in a new way because, okay, well, I can't buy a new shirt every week or, you know, fill in the blank. Like, I'll buy one thing in a month maybe and mm-hmm. what's that thing going to be? And it better last me a long time. And, <laughs> and so I, I feel like that's been a healthy change for me. And the person, too, to your point about how many more fair trade companies there are, the person finding out about human trafficking in 2019 has so many more options than the person who found out about it in 2014, even. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I'll make sure that we put a link to your directory in the show notes. So if people want to find it, then that'll be an easy way for them to go. So, yeah, so you have the dress line. So if somebody is listening and they feel like dress number is something that they want to do how do they how do they get involved yeah well there are a few ways you can buy a dress to have an impact or we also have a tie collection so this is our first year of having a tie collection they're oh, yeah. also ethically made yeah we didn't talk about um, that that men can do it too yes men can join in too <laughs> um back in 2015 or 2016 we added this option it wasn't even our idea i just saw a guy using the dress number hashtag he said my friend's doing this and I'm really passionate about it too. So I'm going to participate this way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is so cool. I love that. And so we reposted it and we saw more and more guys each year have joined in by, by wearing a tie. And sometimes we see women wear ties, which I think is pretty cool. And, you Mm -hmm. know, occasionally we'll see the brave gentlemen wear a dress as well. And so it's kind of a choose your own adventure, which Mm -hmm. I love. But um, yeah, we have a couple different sort of entry points now. And so we do, we have four ties this year for the first time. Um, We partnered with an ethical brand also based in Nepal um, to to bring those. So they can purchase a dress or a tie to get involved. Yeah, so that's one way of, of getting involved. The second way is to make a donation to either a friend doing Dressember or to the general Dressember campaign or on our website. And then the third and like my favorite way that I would love to see 
everyone join in, including you. And I know yeah. you don't love dresses, but okay, I know I when I was just... thinking about us talking, I was like, Angie, by the end of the podcast, you're going to end up having to buy 30 dresses, <laughs> 31 dresses and wear them in December. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, okay. I will say you don't have to wear a different dress every day. Okay. Um, so you can, and you could also, we have people who wear the same dress all month and that is oh an extra challenge that you don't have to take, but it's, mm-hmm. it can be really interesting. I've done it. I mean, this will be my 11th year doing dress number. So I've done pretty much every way you can think of. I wore a different dress every day. I wore the same seven dresses. I think I've done it with four last year was four dresses. I've done it with one dress, like two or three times. Wow. It's there. It's all so fun. And, and what I was going to say is if you don't wear dresses often, mm-hmm. people like you, often have the biggest impact because mm-hmm. people notice when you're wearing a dress and in the double whammy is in Minnesota. Right. Um, in the, people also notice when you're wearing a dress. <laughs> so you could potentially, you know, I'm in Los Angeles and I joke, like I never would have started a dress challenge in December if I lived anywhere else. <laughs> but, um, but also like we have asked me about my dress buttons primarily for our warmer weather. I mean, we have a lot of people in colder weather areas who wear those buttons, but also just like in warmer places where it's not unusual to wear a dress in December. Um, anyway, I won't, I won't guilt or shame you into doing anything, but just think about it because you could potentially have a big impact. I will. Um, it's, it's funny because I ran the marathon. I then I, I literally bought two dresses probably within the two weeks after I ran the marathon and I was wearing one of them and I was like, did I not just run a marathon so I would not have to do this? And here I am wearing a dress. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and here I'm thinking like, you couldn't pay me to run a marathon. Like I would, I would donate to your, yeah, I would donate to your marathon campaign so that I wouldn't have to run it. <laughs> yeah. How I feel. I think if I had um, to do it again, I would wear dresses. <laughs> yeah. Well, Choosing a marathon or dress. Have, yes, I do have chance. I do. I'm probably going to end up doing it. I don't know why. I think I'm, especially like wearing the same one all month. I mean, that challenge of, well, first of all, that's easy. That's like having a uniform. Yeah. But then also to think about our consumption of clothes and the simplicity of wearing the same thing every day and what that says. And I mean, I'll probably get grossed out then by the amount of clothes that I have. Yeah, it can be it can be an an interesting experience from that perspective. And it does add like a layer of, of personal impact. You know, what is, Mm -hmm. what's so interesting. I get emails about this every year is it is this, the whole thing is this like deceptively simple thing. Like, okay, well I'm just going to wear a dress every day. And then it ends up being this like oftentimes kind of profound and transformative Mm -hmm. experience that like, because you wake up each day, you put on this uniform, like you said, and you're in this mindset of like, okay, every day I'm advocating for the dignity of people around the world and here in my area, there is something just powerful about doing that. And so, yeah, there's, I love that about it. And I still am trying to figure out a way to explain that to people because yeah, I think again, when you look at it, you're kind of like, oh, okay, dresses and ties in December, like that's Mm -hmm. cute, whatever. But then there is something just really impactful on a personal level about doing that as well. So if you do want to sign up, you would do so by going to dressember.org, click become an advocate. And then within a few clicks, you'll create your campaign page, set a goal, 
we have some suggested impact amounts if uh, if you want it to, your goal to be tied to a specific impact. And then we tell people like, okay, once you've committed and created a page, like just as important of a next step is to tell everyone in your life that you're doing it mm-hmm. and why you're doing it. Yeah, letting them know this is what I'm doing and why I personally care about this issue. And then just invite them to help you hit your goal. And it, it can be, you know, it's it's also really surprising and delightful to see who who chooses to support and at what amount. I'm I really go into it with open hands. Like I, I don't I, I believe in making a bold ask and then being okay with whatever the mm-hmm. answer is, being truly okay with it. Where, okay, if someone doesn't give, I don't know their their life and their circumstances, so I can't be disappointed about that. I also think awareness and the conversation itself is powerful. And then when people do give, I'm just amazed at the generosity that I've seen or the consistency over several years. Um it's, it's a really wonderful experience. And then seeing like all off, it's, I guess seeing sort of the generosity between advocates and between teams as well, mm-hmm. where people are giving, like they might have their own campaign, but they're giving to other people's campaigns as well. That's really beautiful. And it's just a really cool community of people. That's very cool. How many advocates do you usually have every year? Is that so last year we had about 8,000. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, and on every continent except Antarctica. So wow. you know, like one in Antarctica. <laughs> Not a lot of dress wearers, but maybe some tie oh, wearers down right. there. Exactly. They could all just wear ties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've got people in, I think, like 45 countries at this point. Um, so it's truly this like global community of people, which is really exciting to be part of. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. Yeah, I almost dropped my computer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, so great! I'll do it because that the to the point of I ran a marathon so that I wouldn't have to do it, and the impact that that might make, like people might notice that. So, and if and if if it yeah. takes me doing that, and a woman or a child or a man or a family get mm-hmm. rescued because of that get a decent job because mm. of that I mean that that ends up being worth it to make mm. that's then that makes the sacrifice of wearing dresses in December in Minnesota small in comparison to be able to make that kind of impact so I just want to that's challenge everybody beautiful. listening too yeah to what a it. beautiful way to frame it too I think that's and that's really powerful that yeah getting outside of our comfort zones, Almost like, you know, I hate wearing dresses, but I hate this issue more right. than I hate wearing dresses. Yeah. Um, that's that's powerful. I yeah. think that shows people that you've got skin in the game. So so I'll sign up. So watch, <laughs> follow my Instagram to watch all my dresses in December. Or the dress. I'll probably wear the one yeah. in December. Well, maybe you could start a retreat house team. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. Your listeners could join. Yeah. That is a great idea. We will do that. And maybe I'll have to buy a dress, too, to wear. I So... What are the sizes that your dresses come in? Because I'm a bigger size. It's extra small to extra large, which I'm not thrilled with. I will say our sizes are more on like vanity sizing. So it's possible, like I'm trying to think our, I think I can pretty comfortably say that our extra large 
will fit like a size 16, 18 gal. Mm -hmm. We did plus sizes one year, a couple years ago. And because we're such a small brand with such small numbers, it Mm -hmm. just didn't. And we're a nonprofit. It just didn't end up making a lot of sense. And it takes more material. And so then there's more cost. Yeah. Well, it was just, yeah, it was just hard. It's continues to be a pain point because I, yeah. I would just love to be able to do that. We're, we're figuring it out still. Mm-hmm. If people wanted to order the dresses, they can go to your website and they're, mm-hmm. so it's really your website is kind of the hub for everything. If they want to sign up, if they want to buy a dress. Yeah. So if they go to our website, yeah, it's just the become an advocate or shop is a link right there for our collection. So that's probably the easiest way to do it for for those things. Okay. I'll make sure that that's all in the show notes. So then there are two questions I ask all my guests. The first one is because it's called retreat house podcast, how do you retreat with all that you're doing and all that you're juggling now? How do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does that look like for you? Oh, such a great question. You know, the season of life I'm in, I feel like retreat is on pause a little bit. Mm -hmm. I have a, a, nearly five month old baby. Oh, um, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. He's awesome. And so much work. Um, (laughs) so I lately a retreat looks like a bath, you know, (laughs) taking a bath with a glass of wine, um, which is great. I'll take it. Um, but I would say in, in other seasons, a retreat is, I love to travel. And so if I can travel Mm -hmm. somewhere with my husband, we particularly love going to the Pacific Northwest. I'm from Seattle originally. So we love going up there like in the summertime and kind of taking it easy and exploring. And um, yeah. Such a beautiful part of the country. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So traveling with your husband, that would be a... No, yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think retreat in general to me is if I can not be in work mode mm-hmm. um, and I can just be connecting with my husband and some of my close friends that feels like a sort of soul retreat you know or like mm-hmm. a recharge yep does it is it hard because you're because your work is something that you're so passionate about is it hard to disconnect and let yourself retreat it's super hard I think that's why traveling can be Mm. so good is because I just will force myself as much as possible. Sometimes I'm traveling for work, but if I can tack (laughs) on some personal days and then I try to truly unplug from it, but it it can be tough, especially Mm. this time of year. I don't, I don't get opportunities to unplug when we're ramping up, (laughs) which is fine. Um, but yeah, and then I think that's why I like taking baths too, because I I am clumsy, and so I will not take my computer or my phone in the bath, and so I am literally forced. I'm forced to unplug. Nice. Yeah. So then the other question is, if you were to use the hashtag Celebrate Weird to describe something about yourself, what would that be? Um, you know, maybe one of the weirdest things that I do fairly consistently maybe this isn't weird um I love to turn conversations into songs (laughs) (laughs) it could actually probably be really annoying to some people but I just love like whatever we're talking about or if someone if someone says something or I say something that reminds me of like a lyric I will sing that sentence to the song Mm -hmm. and my goal is like 
will they recognize what song I'm singing? And I just have so much fun with that. And um, judging by my husband's reaction, it's pretty weird most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) I do the same thing. And I just started working full time. And so I've been doing that in the office. Like I'll just come up to somebody and start (laughs) singing. And they don't know what to do with me. So I do it too, but yes, I think it's weird. I think other people think it's weird. So yeah, fun. it's like I maybe it's like a, a certain breed of us that yeah. take joy in that, and the rest of the people are just like, "What or who are you?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, so fun. Oh well, <laughs> let well, it fly. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Let your freak flag fly. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and the story of dress ember and making me wear dresses in December this year. (laughs) It'll be totally worth it. But thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Absolutely. So grateful for, for the chance to share. There it is. You heard right. I'm, I'm doing dress (laughs) ember. And not only that, I have started a retreat house podcast team. I would love to have you join me in doing December. You can join the Retreat House team by going to December2019.org slash team slash retreat dash house dash podcast. I'll have all the, all the information will be in the show notes, but I would love to have you join the team and help raise awareness of human trafficking and to help raise money to support amazing organizations like Dressember and all the organizations that they support. So I would love to have you join me. So check that out. If you are not interested in wearing a tie or wearing a dress for the month of December, I would love to have you donate to the team and see if we can meet our fundraising goal. So again, you heard right. Even though I ran a marathon, I am still doing Dressember. So we'll see how this goes. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find the podcast at at Retreat House Podcast. And you can find me at at Angela Smith MN. Thank you again for joining us and we will see you next week.